Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hey, all. Before we begin, a couple quick announcements. First, I'm doing an end-of-year show with crypto predictions for 2022 by you. Please make a video or an audio recording of your 2022 crypto prediction or predictions and email it to hello at unchainedpodcast.com with the subject line crypto prediction by the end of day, Tuesday, December 28th. And although I have asked people to send their name and where they're from, as somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, if you don't want to dox yourself, I guess you don't have to do that either. (laughs) Unfortunately, I do need to give a forewarning that if you excessively promote anything, we will not include your prediction. If you just want me to read on air a prediction that you just email, that's okay too. It's just a little bit less fun. Don't forget the deadline is Tuesday, December 28th, and the email address is hello at unchainedpodcast.com. Please put crypto prediction in the subject line. Also, a reminder, my book is coming out on 2-22-22. If you're looking for a holiday gift, pre-order it now to deliver later. Pre-order sales really helped that book that first week to help establish further demand and get it on any lists. If you want to get a normie into crypto, this fun tale just may do it. Someone who worked with me on the book and knew nothing at all about crypto when we started, and after just two days of reading it and being nowhere near done with it, was asking me such intelligent questions about crypto that I asked, how do you know so much about crypto? Their response, from your book. (laughs) By the end, they were completely obsessed and had already ordered a hardware wallet. Pre-order The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze today at bit.ly slash cryptopians. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. And now on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they say on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the December 17th episode of Unconfirmed. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Tired of your exchange taking 25% of your staking profits? The Avado blockchain computer allows you to stake Ethereum and other crypto at home and keep 100% of the rewards. Go to ava.do. Wish you could earn crypto but don't want to spend thousands on hardware? Just download the Nodal Cash app on your smartphone. Visit nodal.io slash unconfirmed. That's n-o-d-l-e dot i-o slash unconfirmed to start earning Nodal Cash today. Today's guest is Jess Symington, Research Lead at Elliptic. Welcome, Jess. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. There have been a number of recent hacks in crypto and in DeFi in particular. Elliptic just came out with a report giving an overview of crime in DeFi, which you dub decrime in the report. 
Can you give us an overview of the state of crime in DeFi? Sure. Um, so in terms of um, hacks, we monitor for two main types. So that's um, with regard to exchanges and also, if you, as you've said, with regard to DeFi. Um, so we've seen um, a vast increase in the um, hacks in the DeFi space within the last year. Um, so to give you some figures, so of all time, so since around 2016, when we started um, monitoring for these, there's been a total of over $12 billion worth of loss in the DeFi space. Um, and that's with regard to two um, different types of loss. So one, which we call direct loss. So that's the um, funds that were stolen directly from the DeFi protocols. And the second is called the protocol, protocol loss. So um, if a DeFi um, protocol is attacked by a hacker, the, the value of the protocol may um, drop in the days afterwards. So, for example, the um, value of the governance tokens may drop in the days afterwards. So there's a lot um, of that loss is accounted for by the protocol loss rather than the direct loss. So of that 12 billion, um, 1.5 billion was lost last year and 10.5 billion has been lost this year. So we've seen a vast increase in this loss in the last year. Not only are we seeing an increase in the value loss, but we're seeing an increase in the frequency of these attacks. Um, so these days, it's not unusual to see sort of over 10 hacks of this type per month. Wow. And just to clarify about the $12 billion number, um, $10.5 billion lost this year, is that the direct loss or is that the economic loss where it's the value of the protocol that you know decreased afterward? And the 10.5 this year is accounts for both, both the direct loss and the protocol loss. So, and then the 1.5 from last year, again, also accounts for both. And if you were to just break out direct loss, what is the figure? Um, so we see uh, generally the um, direct loss accounts for, you know, a much smaller portion of the um, total loss. So if we go back to those original figures, so 2 billion um, in direct loss of all time and 10 billion in protocol loss of all time. So you can sort of see how that would work out um, over this year. So if we're seeing around 10 billion total loss this year, we might see, um, you know, one to two um, billion in direct loss. Okay. And so you said that the frequency is accelerating. What else do you see in terms of the size of the thefts in DeFi? Yes. Yeah, so um, the size of thefts um, isn't necessarily increasing at the same rate as the frequency. Um, it really depends on the protocol which is attacked and the success of the particular hacker. We are seeing a number of very, very high profile, um, high value hacks though. So we can um, look at the um, Poly Network hack earlier this year in which um, the hacker um, stole $611 million worth. Um, so we are definitely seeing an overall increase, but not as easily as we're seeing in the frequency increase. And for these different hacks, do they tend to be more the user's fault? Because obviously I know that everybody in crypto is aware that there are a lot of phishing scams out there on Twitter, in your email, on your text messages, in Telegram, like just pretty much every, anywhere you go on the internet, there's phishing scammers targeting you? Or is it more often the case that the protocol or smart contract has flaws? It's definitely more often the case that the protocol or the smart contract has flaws. So um, the biggest cause of loss, so the biggest um, exploit that the hacker um, takes advantage of is what we call bug um, vulnerability. So 
that is, consists of either code vulnerabilities. So there's been an error in the coding, which the hacker takes advantage of in order to steal the money, or there's an error in the way in which the protocol was set up in the first place. So we call this like an economic vulnerability. Um, so in an example of that, um, the Mono X hack recently occurred when a hacker uh, artificially inflated the price of the Mono token, and they used the artificial value in order to purchase all of the other assets um, related to that DeFi. So that's what we would describe as an economic um, vulnerability. But both of those types um, are under the umbrella term of um, a bug vulnerability. So that's definitely the highest sort of category that accounts for the most hacks. Further down, we have sort of unauthorized access to private keys, um, and that's private keys of individual users, as well as private um, keys of like hot wallets belonging to um, protocols and exchanges themselves. Um, and then we also have rug pulls. The stats we have show that rug pulls account for quite a small portion of the overall hacks. One of the main reasons for that is it's, it's always quite difficult to verify a rug pull. And there's always um, accusations of rug pulls whenever a DeFi protocol is attacked. But a really clear example we can see from this year is the Squid Coin. So Squidcoin was popularized um, due to the Squid Game um, Netflix show um, and re received a lot of interest um, from users. Uh, shortly afterwards, they rug pulled and sort of withdrew all the value out of that token. So, but that's, yeah, a very, very small portion of hacks um, are down to rug pulls. And so for the rug pull example, how how do you prove that it was something that was intentional? Because, you know, as you said, I'm sure a lot of the various hacks, you know, do uh, like people will accuse the developers themselves of having done it. And in a way, it probably isn't that difficult to, you know, this isn't the normal meaning of civil attack, but, you know, basically fake your identity and pretend like it was somebody else. So how how do you prove that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so one of the ways uh, you can try to prove a rug pull is to look at the behavior of the protocol around the time that the hack occurs. So some very clear examples might be that all social media, all, you know, telegram groups or discord groups are closed at the exact same time that the um, hack occurs. And the sort of creator of the DeFi protocol is just trying to disappear. Um, so that'd be a very clear indicator that, you know, accusations of, rug, of a rug pull may be correct. And so earlier you were saying that code exploits are the number one most common way uh, for these hacks to take place. What's an example of one of those? Sure. So um, an example of a code exploit. So the difficulty with um, DeFi and the dApps that um, run these DeFi protocols is that um, a lot of dApps are based on previous dApps. So if you find a vulnerability in the code of one of them, chances are that vulnerability is going to you know, be in existence in a lot of the other codes as well. So uh, an example of a code hack. Well, from your report, you guys had VSwap. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a replay sort of of the first, uh, not the um, the second parody multi-sig wallet hack. I don't know if you, do you know about the initializing the contract? Um, no, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're referring oh, okay. to. Okay, well, so in, in the elliptic report, um, it said that this VSwap code hack basically happened because... I guess initializing kind of like makes you the owner of, of so I'm not, I'm not going to be able to <laughs> explain it on a super technical level, just off the cuff, but um, then because they were able to make themselves the owner, then they, they pulled the funds, but the same thing happened back in 2017 with the second parody multi-sig hack 
where they were able to set themselves with the owner as the owner. And so they did so. And um, then they locked the funds away. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but did you have another idea in mind of another code exploit? Not off the top of my head. The, the example I was going to give you with regard to bug, um, bug exploits was um, the poly network, but that was like an economic exploit rather than a code exploit. Oh yeah. And those are really fascinating because I feel like, you know, they're only possible in, in DeFi or maybe not only, but, you know, especially very quickly uh, with the flash loans. So are there any particular chains that you feel are more susceptible to having their DeFi protocols hacked than others? Yeah. So what we see um, is the majority of hacks occur on the Ethereum um, blockchain. And the reason for that is, you know, Ethereum is more established. Um, it's more used um, in the DeFi space. But this year in particular, we are also seeing a number of hacks um, on Binance Smart Chain and on Polygon Network. So they're definitely diversifying across different blockchains. And another thing that we've seen quite commonly um, in recent um, instance is that a hack or um, an exploit will affect a number of different blockchains. So it might affect Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain rather than just an individual blockchain. Well, super fascinating. Okay, so in a moment, we're going to discuss more about where hacks are going. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. There's a new cryptocurrency made for mobile that you can earn by downloading the Nodal Cash app. It's free, easy to use, and there's no hardware to buy. The Nodal Cash app allows you to earn crypto whether you're on the go, stuck in traffic, or even while you're sleeping. Nodal Cash is the crypto you earn 24-7. Go to nodal.io slash unconfirmed to get started today. That's n-o-d-l-e dot i-o slash unconfirmed. Back to my conversation with Jess. So as we were discussing at the beginning, there's been a few big hacks recently. Um, there was Vulcan Forged, which was hacked for 140 million. Bitmart, which is actually a centralized exchange, was hacked for 196 million. There was Badger Dow, 120 million, <laughs> and um, another one, Ascend X, for 83 million. And I know Elliptic will be publishing a blog post, I believe, Monday noting that it's about $600 million in 14 days that's been stolen. So what do you make of this recent spate of attacks? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly shocking. Um, and I think it doesn't quite receive the attention that it deserves. Um, if this was like a traditional finance, maybe this would be more sort of front page news. But there is like a very, very high um, value losses occurring very regularly. And I think um, one of the aspects of that that might be slightly being lost is that it's not just the sort of decentralized apps that are losing funds. There's very human stories behind these as well. So whenever like a hack occurs, we see these very sad stories on social media or in telegram groups of people losing their entire life savings. Um, so that's one aspect of it that I think um, could also be focused on more. And earlier this year, there was an uptick in ransomware and that really dominated the news. What's happened to that trend? 
Um, they're still very, very active in the ransomware space. Um, we've seen a number of different trends this year. So particularly around summer or June, July this year, uh, a number of very, very high profile attacks occurred. And as a result, a number of the top ransomware groups um, retired slash rebranded um, in an attempt to avoid sort of law enforcement attention. Um, so we've seen um, a very common trend this year has been these sort of like constant rebrandings after a very high profile attack. But another trend that we've seen this year is like increased law enforcement success. So recently we've seen funds being seized um, from Revil um, affiliates. We've seen individuals associated with those ransomware groups arrested. So there's been a number of really interesting trends this year around ransomware. And so now, once these various thieves get a hold of their crypto, how easily can they cash out? And are you find are you finding that they're able to at all? Yes. So I think there's an interesting difference when you look at a type of crime like um, a DeFi hack versus ransomware. So with DeFi, there's a very clear um, method of cashing out, which if you're sort of on the more sophisticated end of the hackers, you'll, you'll identify and be able to use very easily. So the first thing you want to do um, if you steal a load of uh, funds, and that's probably going to include um, like native um, currencies like Ether um, and Binance Coin, as well as tokens. So specifically, ERC twenty tokens are stolen a lot in these type of hacks. Because you're stealing tokens, there are some token issuers that are able to freeze the funds, and this is particularly um, with regards to stable coins, but also other types of um, tokens. So. If you steal um, some Tether and some USD coin, the first thing you're going to want to do is to swap that into either the native currency of the blockchain you're using or um, other um, potentially stable coins like DAI, which don't have those um, freezing abilities. So that's the very first um, step that we see hackers take is to quickly swap all of those tokens into the native currency. And the second thing you'll probably want to do is use something like a decentralized mixer. And on the Ethereum blockchain is one very, very clear um, standout uh, leader in that space, and that's Tornado Cash. So a lot of these funds are then um, laundered through Tornado Cash, which makes it tricky to um, follow the flow of funds and to see where they're cashing out. Interestingly, we don't see all DeFi hackers use that methodology. So some DeFi hackers um, keep hold of the funds and they might try to bounce it through a few different wallets, but they don't sort of make any attempt to cash out. And that might be because um, they were sort of focused on whether they could steal the funds. And once they've stolen them, they're not quite sure what to do with them. Or maybe they're just trying to lie low for a bit um, and not you know, cause any huge transactions, which might alert token issuers or um, exchanges. So that's sort of the DeFi space. If we look at ransomware, it's definitely becoming more uh, tricky to cash out ransomware funds. And that's because um, the majority of ransomware payments are still paid in Bitcoin. And we've developed very sophisticated techniques to be able to trace um, the flow of funds on the Bitcoin blockchain. They are, however, able to utilize certain services which are still available to them. So unregulated exchanges, for example, we've seen some in-person exchanges um, that are accessible by visiting particular offices in particular um, countries. Or, you know, there's certain services um, available on the Bitcoin blockchain which are not regulated because they don't take custody of your funds. So particular services like Wasabi, which is a privacy wallet, is quite heavily used by ransomware groups. Um, because of its non-custodial nature, it means it's not um, currently regulated and therefore they can use that service in order to enable the cashing out uh, activities. Wow, this is so fascinating. Um, I just wanted to ask about uh, one of the examples you gave of how people can do this in person, they can cash out in person. I'm assuming that 
those are either in jurisdictions where there isn't a lot of, a lot of law enforcement around these things or how to like what what jurisdictions does that typically happen in yeah that's i mean you're 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 completely correct there that is um specifically in jurisdictions where there's not that sort of law enforcement appetite to crack down on ransomware but interestingly we've seen those services also operate in other jurisdictions. So recently we came across a service very similar to the two exchanges which have recently been um, sanctioned by the US. So those two exchanges were called SUEX and Chatex. And it's a very similar service to that, which also uh, has um, the ability to facilitate cash transfers in America. Um, so we, we are sort of actively investigating those services as well. And would you, can you put a percentage on maybe uh, the uh, um, how many of these thieves or what amount of the funds actually does get cashed out? Um, in terms of the ransomware groups, um, or, or just for uh, yeah, all of crypto crime or both? Well, okay, sure. Um, I can give you an, an exact percentage. In terms of ransomware, we see like a much um, longer term cashing out strategy, so they don't tend to move. Um, they don't necessarily move the funds as quickly as something like um, a hacker for a DeFi um, protocol. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I can't give you a percentage on the exact number of all illicit funds that are cashed out. But we have seen very, very high usage of services like Wasabi Wallet. And who do the hackers tend to be? Have you guys identified or, or and maybe they differ depending on whether it's like DeFi versus ransomware or centralized exchanges? Yes. Um, yeah, I would say they differ depending, um, not necessarily on the crime type, but with regard to DeFi um, hacks, we don't necessarily always, um, or most occasions potentially, don't identify individuals behind the hacks. But there could be um, features of the hacks which might enable you to build like a profile of the type of hacker. So we see very sophisticated hacks that occur and then very sophisticated money laundering patterns that occur afterwards, which indicates they might be, you know, experienced in this, whereas we also see hackers who steal the funds and then sort of panic afterwards. Um, they might be in contact with the exchange. Um, we see the use of messages on the Ethereum blockchain. So messages are bouncing back between the hackers and the victims, um, or they might sort of show off about their hacks on social media, um, particularly sort of Twitter. Um, so there's very, like a very distinguished different groups, um, of people that commit these sort of DeFi hacks with regards to crime types like ransomware. Again, we see, um, sort of variety of people, uh, engaged in these kind of activities. Um, but generally sort of young, sort of technically, um, capable individuals. Okay. And how well has law enforcement been able to go after these various thieves? Yeah. Um, so again, differs per crime type. Because crimes like ransomware occur in jurisdictions where um, sort of US, UK law enforcement don't have um, easy access to, they're not always able to successfully um, you know, conduct investigations, although we have seen an increase in success this year, particularly. And even where individuals haven't been, you know, like arrested, they may have been um, sanctioned or they may have had funds seized from them. So there still are law enforcement activities that can take place other than like the arrest of a suspect. So, yeah, it, it really differs per um, crime type and and it differs um, with regard to sort of the sophistication of the crime. So some um, hacks um, or some like money laundering activities can be susceptible to very easy mistakes. And if those mistakes occur, it makes it easier to follow um, the flow of funds. 
Um, and therefore, it might be easier to identify like identification opportunities, for example, if those funds then go to a regulated exchange, which does conduct um, like KYC, then that might be an identification opportunity for law enforcement. And does the fact that most of these blockchains or is the fact that most of these blockchains are transparent affect that ability or does it make it easier for, or for law enforcement? It's definitely um, a benefit to law enforcement. So if you think about the transparency of the FLIR funds on something like the Bitcoin blockchain versus traditional finance. So the benefit of Bitcoin is that we can all study the blockchain and we can look for patterns and identify sort of red flag indicators or identify suspicious activity. And we also, you know, blockchain analytics companies like Elliptic have been around for a fair amount of time now and have developed very sophisticated techniques to be able to um, follow um, the flow of funds. So definitely um, the transparency of blockchains is a massive bonus um, in these kind of cases. And what would you say could be done to help prevent more of these hacks in the future? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, so because right now DeFi is like a very new, very innovative space, Unfortunately, that also means it's not particularly um, sophisticated yet in terms of like regulation or um, industry-wide, like agreed upon um, certain standards. So there are certain things as a user you might be able to look out for. So some DeFi services um, have their smart contracts audited, um, and that's just an indication that they are trying to, you know, avoid things like code exploits. So that might be something you can look out for. But really, the onus on this potentially should be more on the DeFi protocol itself to ensure they are carrying out these checks um, to look for any vulnerabilities so that they can be um, sort of closed off. And what would your advice be for people who participate in DeFi who don't want to become victims of these various crimes? Uh, <laughs> I think my advice would be, um, as always, with anything to do with crypto, um, if you're using it as an investment, don't invest more, obviously, than you're prepared to lose. So we see lots of stories of people investing their life savings um, into various cryptocurrencies or into DeFi protocols, who are then obviously very um, distressed when they lose all of these funds. So um, that's very like one general rule around cryptocurrency in general. Um, again, as a user, there's not a whole lot you can do other than look out for these things like, has the smart contract be, been audited? Is the issuer um, of the token or um, the creator of the smart contract is there any like footprint about them that you could look at do they have like a website or is there like a telegram group that you could join and, and engage with the um, creator but in general as the user yeah um, it is unfortunately a little bit risky all right well this has been such a fascinating interview thank you so much for coming on unconfirmed no worries thank you very much for having me it's great to speak with you don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Did you know that exchanges take up to a 25% cut on your staking rewards? But you don't need an exchange to stake. You can run a validator at home. Join thousands of solo stakers, get an Avado device, plug it in, deposit your stake, and earn the full reward. Avado created the best hardware and specific software to stake and keeps your validator on the latest version through auto-updates. One-time investment, 100% profit. Go to Avado. That's A-V-A dot D-O. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. In hearing, senators go tough on stablecoins. This week, senators took both stablecoins and DeFi to task during a banking committee meeting. Senator and committee chair Sherrod Brown 
started the hearing with prepared remarks, saying cryptocurrencies advocates argue that crypto assets are superior to real dollars because they are decentralized and transparent, but stablecoins are neither. He added, stablecoins make it easier than ever to risk real dollars on cryptocurrencies that are at best volatile and at worst outright fraudulent. Senator Elizabeth Warren also chimed in, expounding upon the dangers of stablecoins and DeFi, saying, Stablecoins pose risks to consumers and to our economy. They're propping up some of the shadiest parts of the crypto world, DeFi, where consumers are least protected from getting scammed. She went on to say, DeFi is where the regulation is effectively absent, and, no surprise, it's where the scammers and the cheats and the swindlers mix among part-time investors and first-time crypto traders. Not every voice in the room was so negative. Senator Pat Toomey took the side of DeFi, citing cross-border payments, programmability, and efficiency as different ways that stablecoins improve upon fiat money. Toomey also emphasized that regulation should not stifle innovation and called for regulators to have the humility to recognize that many of our views about how financial services are delivered and how investments work are quickly becoming outdated. Tuesday's Senate hearing comes less than a week after the House Financial Services Committee hosted CEOs from six digital asset firms in a meeting deemed positive by FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. It also comes shortly after the President's Working Group released a report on stablecoins, which advised regulators to restrict stablecoin issuers to insured banks. Bitcoin jumps as Fed accelerates its stimulus taper. On Wednesday, the Federal Open Market Committee began its two-day summit to discuss U.S. monetary policy. During day one, Federal Reserve officials acknowledged the threat of inflation, which is currently at a 39-year high in the wake of COVID-19-induced stimulus packages. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have continued to contribute to elevated levels of inflation, the FOMC explained. However, according to Fed Chair Jerome Powell, the economy no longer needs increasing amounts of policy support. With that in mind, the Fed announced that it is looking to cut down on stimulus spending and will taper monthly bond purchases twice as quickly as planned, reducing purchases by $30 billion per month to zero by early 2022. For context, the Fed had originally intended to decrease stimulus spending by $15 billion per month. On Wednesday, after the FOMC statement, crypto prices jumped, with the entire crypto market surging from a low of $2.03 trillion that morning to a high of $2.27 trillion by afternoon. Aave votes to close source code. Token holders of Aave, the fourth largest DeFi protocol by total value locked, voted to make the code for the upcoming Aave v3 release restricted by a business license. This vote is essentially a signal on whether or not the Aave community wants to protect its intellectual property from unauthorized use or simply allow anyone to use the code in any way they prefer, explained the proposal that was passed by a slim majority of 55%. A business license restricting the use of code in DeFi was first introduced by Uniswap, which most likely instituted such a practice due to being forked and vampire attacked by SushiSwap during 2020's DeFi summer. The proposed Aave V3 business license 
would be similar to Uniswap's in that it would restrict the usage of code for an initial amount of time, which would most likely be one year. During that time, Aave Governance would keep the rights to authorize code forks for projects and teams who have a track record of collaborating with Aave in the past. The proposal didn't pass with overwhelming support. 44% of Aave's community voted for V3 to be released under an MIT license, which grants, without limitation, the rights to use, copy, modify, merge, publish, distribute, sublicense, and or sell copies of the code for free. Cinemhain Ventures' Adam Cochran believes that DeFi protocols close sourcing some of the code is a slippery soap that could lead to crypto applications running into the same issues they are trying to solve. Wrote Cochran, We've seen more restrictive licenses and closed source pop up across DeFi protocol and other chains over the past year. When we design systems to be anti-competitive profit seekers, we're just going to recreate the broken banking system, but on-chain. One week, three unicorns. Nidig, a New York-based Bitcoin firm, announced a $1 billion funding round at a valuation of more than $7 billion. According to Devmetrics, this is tied as the largest funding round of 2021 in the crypto space. The capital from the raise will be used to further develop its VTC infrastructure capabilities, including lightning payments. Westcap led the round, joining existing investors like Affirm, FIS, Fiserv, MassMutual, Morgan Stanley, and New York Life. On Wednesday, Anchorage, a crypto-focused bank, announced a $350 million raise at a valuation of over $3 billion in a Series D funding round. Anchorage, which launched in 2017 as primarily a custodian for digital assets, has since grown into a full-service bank. KKR, a private equity firm with $459 billion in assets under management, led the investment through a technology fund, its first direct equity investment in a crypto firm. Also included in the round are Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, PayPal Ventures, Andreessen Horowitz, and Alameda Research. On Thursday, The Block reported that Dune Analytics, a crypto analytics company, is raising money at a valuation of $1 billion. The Block says that Dune's raise would make for 39 crypto unicorns minted in 2021. Shopify is launching an NFT marketplace. On Thursday, the e-commerce platform Shopify announced the beta release of an NFT marketplace where businesses can mint and sell branded NFTs with Shopify and Shopify payments from their own storefront. The website notes that NFTs will be available on Ethereum, Polygon, Near, and Flow, with customers being able to claim NFTs via email. Nike made a metaverse acquisition. RTFKT Studios, an NFT fashion company, has been acquired by Nike. Created in January 2020, the Metaverse native RTFKT is known for creating NFTs of virtual sneakers and other collectibles. This is not Nike's first foray into digital goods. Nike has shown interest in tokenized fashion since 2019, when it filed for a patent regarding crypto kicks. In 2021, Nike has actively pursued virtual fashion, filing for patents on Nike and Just Do It, along with Air Jordan, Jumpman, and Spoosh logos. For that reason, Benoit Pagoto, a co-founder of RTFKT, is super excited about the acquisition. Nike is the only brand in the world that shares the deep passion we all have for innovation, creativity, and community, and we're excited to grow our brand, which was fully formed in the metaverse, concluded Pagoto. Notably, 
the acquisition comes on the heels of a series of metaverse partnerships from Adidas, a Nike competitor. Senators rally across the aisle to push for changes to infrastructure bill. This week, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen received a letter from six senators asking her to clarify how the Treasury Department will interpret the broker definition for crypto tax reporting in the recently passed Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. In the letter, Senators Rob Portman, Mark Warner, Mike Crapo, Kirsten Sinema, Pat Toomey, and Cynthia Lummis noted that the vague definition of broker could pose significant issues for crypto actors and asked Yellen and the Treasury Department to honor the intent of the bill, which they felt was cemented during a conversation between Senators Portman and Warner on the floor of the Senate earlier this year. At that time, they specified the term would only cover brokers who enable the transfer of digital assets, while entities ancillary to the process would not be considered brokers. The senators urged the Department of Treasury to provide information or informal guidance within the current calendar year. The move from the bipartisan group comes after multiple failed attempts at changing the language in the bill during its time in the Senate. Catherine Hahn leaves A16Z Crypto to launch her own fund. On Wednesday, Katie Hahn, a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz and GP of A16Z Crypto, announced her intention to leave A16Z to start her own crypto fund focused on crypto and Web3 early next year. The information reports that Andreessen Horowitz will be an anchor limited partner in her new fund and make a large capital commitment up front, but at least one other institution has made a larger commitment. Additionally, A16 founders Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz and her partner GP of A16Z Crypto, Chris Dixon, are all personally investing in her fund. As the firm's first female general partner, Han was hired with the launch of A16Z's first crypto fund in 2018. In the past year alone, she has helped ink 45 deals. The information reports that she will be the sole GP of her new fund and intends to hire as many as 20 people, with at least six founding team members being women, which is notable in the male-dominated industry. Recently, Han has been hosting dinners for celebrities, crypto community members, lawmakers, and policymakers, drawing together people who intersect with crypto from everything from the NFT to regulatory angles and all are, in various ways, necessary to crypto success. Han sits on the boards of OpenSea and Coinbase. Before joining A16Z in 2018, Han served at the Department of Justice for over a decade. A16Z Crypto will now be helmed by Dixon, Ariana Simpson, Anthony Albanese, and Ali Yaya. Time for fun bits. Elon Musk says Tesla is letting the Doge out. According to data from CoinGecko, Dogecoin was at 15 cents at 5 a.m. Eastern Time on December 14th. By 6 a.m. Eastern Time, the price of Doge had jumped to 21 cents, an increase of 40% in roughly two hours. Why? Because Elon, of course. At 5.34 a.m. on the 14th, the Tesla CEO tweeted, Tesla will make some merch buyable with Doge and see how it goes. Now, what does this mean? It means that Doge holders can order anything from a Tesla umbrella to a Tesla buckle belt on Tesla's website. Though, after perusing the shop, Dogecoin purchases do not seem to be live yet. NFTs come to a congressional race. Srina Karani is running for a house seat in California and dropping 2022 NFTs on Solana, representing potential Web3 policies. In a conversation with Coindesk, 
Kwani said there is a ton of misunderstanding surrounding crypto and specifically points to tax and accounting rules as areas that can be addressed with new legislation. South Park makes crypto Twitter feel seen. South Park did a bit on crypto that pokes hilarious fun at crypto and all its memes, drama, and jargon. Although I probably can't play the whole thing without creating copyright issues for myself, here is a fun little taste. Next thing you know, these people over here started chanting, hodl, hodl, and their NFT started mooning. And then these guys over here started saying those guys right there, right clicked them and, and called for a pump and dump, which made these guys beat the living hell out of anyone who said it was just FOMO and died screaming that it was the flippening. All right. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Jess, Elliptic, and TeFi Hacks, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.